Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for a new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. My name is Sebastian Norn. I'm the Swede. With me is Elliot Niblock, the Yank. And guess what? We had a pretty exciting match week five. We're down to two perfect teams and a change at the very top of the table. Then we got some struggling sides sort of finding their way here now. And then this week, the Champions League kicks off. So a lot of good stuff to talk about. Elliot, how are things in your neck of the woods? Very, very wet. Uh, I mean, fortunately here we don't have actual flooding for the most part, although there are minor flooding in Virginia. Um, And actually there was a tornado near Richmond earlier today, which is kind of unheard of. Uh, So we're just getting kind of the like after effects of Florence. But fortunately for us, none of that is particularly dire. It's just kind of dreary. Yeah, some scary stuff there with Hurricane Florence and hitting the Carolinas very hard. So uh, thoughts got to all those people, of course. Uh, Let's jump into the football, though. Our marquee matchup that we spoke about before match week five, that was Liverpool going to Wembley to take on Tottenham Hotspurs. And Liverpool went home with a 2-1 win here. Goals by Giorgino Vilnaldum and Roberto Firmino. Lamela scored a consolation goal late for Tottenham. But once again, Liverpool sort of, you know, eking out the wins. Yeah, I mean, this one, I, I do think that this lived up to the billing, first of all, I should say. You know, yeah, it was a good game. Too self congratulatory, but yeah, it was, I think it was as good as we hyped it. Uh, I mean, in addition to those three goals, there were a bevy of other chances. Um, it, you know, Firmino kind of ticking the ball on, unfortunately, for Liverpool's perspective and discounting a Mane goal who was onside from the initial pass, but offside after. Firmino's touch, uh, and then Lucas hitting the woodwork for Spurs before the initial goal by Firmino. I mean, I think that you have to say it was... Yeah, I mean, I guess guess they kind of eked out a win, but I I think that it was deserved. Um, I don't don't see them as having kind of really stolen this one by any means. No, absolutely not, and I... think that Liverpool fans are probably although they liked the way that they saw the team play last season with a lot of high scoring games but at the same time the defense now is looking so much better so you you know a two to one win that's totally fine mm-hmm. really I mean if, if you have to do a sort of a little bit of a trade-off as far as you know a goal glut versus strong defense and actually winning games and being very competitive and Right now, they're only second because of goal differential. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would take that any any day of the week. Because, I mean, that's been the problem with with my Manchester United. They play very boring. and But if at the same time, if they would have racked up the wins, you would have been like, okay, they are boring as hell, but they're getting the results. And that hasn't been the case. At least for Liverpool's sake now, they are getting these results and that's why they're one of the favorites to actually win the title because the defense has been upgraded in such a big way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, from a Tottenham perspective, although I, I misspoke earlier when I said Lucas scored before Wijnaldum's goal, he didn't. 
Uh, but I still think that there are bright spots, you know, and they're, of course, from a Spurs perspective, this is not what they wanted to be, but they were right there in this game. Uh, and even when they were 2-0 down, they were in this game, obviously bespoken by the fact that they got, uh, they pulled one back. Yeah, you can call it garbage time if you want, but they got on the score sheet against one of the title contenders, which... Arsenal failed to do at home against one of the title contenders in City. So, disappointing, but by no means panic button stuff from a Spurs perspective. And, yeah, uh, I mean, as you say, it's a, a good defensive performance for the most part from... I, I would even say from both teams, right? Because, you know, you don't usually think of that with conceding two goals, but this Liverpool team is just so powerful at attack. And there were, you know, they forced a lot of good saves. So it really, it almost every time that Liverpool takes the field, also true of Man City, they could hit anyone for four. And you're going to need some last-ditch defending and some good goalkeeping in order to keep them from doing that pretty much every week. And we just we saw some of that from Tottenham. Not yeah. enough for three points, but some nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, there is some question marks. I do think that they were a bit sloppy, especially in the first half. They did have some, you know, unforced errors. Dyer had that awful back pass. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, and yeah, they're not... Well, don't misunderstand me. Tottenham are, are not rock-solid defensively, but very few teams in this league really are, to be honest. No, that's true. Um, I mean, we don't have that kind of, like, former Tony Pulis Stoke team that was just, like, the band of orcs that conceded either zero or one goals and <laughs> that was just you know the style of play that uh, they live by and yeah. i think that we've you know we've spoken a lot about kind of the the lack of a really great central defender not only in england but kind of throughout the top leagues in the world um but again back to your point once more about how liverpool already a strong side strengthened and that Virgil van Dyke signing that a lot of us thought, boy, wow, that's a lot of money, looks better and better every day. I mean, yes, for Liverpool, he's worth that kind of money. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, if you if you look at the market, it was sort of an overpriced, but at the same time, well, but yeah, it's but worth I mean, it for yeah, Liverpool. It's and, and I think that this is... I, we do this maybe a little bit too much, but hey, I'm the Yank. It's the Yank and a Swede podcast. I'm going to be a Yankee. Although, I hate the Yankees. But I'm still going to draw a, pay, a parallel with Major League Baseball, right? In that a lot of teams will kind of push all in right at the trade deadline if they think this might be their year. Now, the cycles of success and failure in baseball are very different, um, not only because of kind of the longevity of players in certain positions that you don't have in, you know, professional football, soccer, whatever. <laughs> uh, not too much of a yank about it but also because of the structure of not having to worry about relegation, right? So obviously, like, those things are very different. But nonetheless, you know, when you have a chance to really try to put something together to be at least a championship team, if not move forward and try to, like, push for a dynasty, then maybe you have to overpay for those players. And I think that Klopp recognized that and saying, look, we've got this phenomenal attack, but... We, if we're going to keep bleeding goals at the back, we're never going to be able to make that next step up. So 
you got to pay above market value for the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle, and then you've got the whole jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, that's very, very true. One last note from this game. we got to talk about Firmino's horrible, I mean, accident injury. Uh, Vertonghen, like, stabbed him in the eye with his finger. He was knuckle-deep into Firmino's eye socket. Yeah. It, that looked uh, so nasty. But... Yeah. Um, it's time for a sweet oh, little. Yeah. Oh God! I just yep. looked at a photo. Oh of yeah, again, it's bad. Can't. It's really bad. That. So it's time for a little Swedish idiom of the episode, and it's tur i oturen. So you're lucky when you're unlucky. So uh, <laughs> the silver lining sort of thing uh, in an unlucky yeah. situation. Not blinded in one eye. Yeah, not blind. Not yeah, not blinded, and might you know be good to go here very very soon. And Liverpool. They got a big game coming up here in the Champions League as they take on PSG on uh, Tuesday tomorrow as yeah, we are is, recording this on a Monday. Yep, that is a mouth-watering clash. And we'll talk more about the Champions League in a minute. Um, but, yeah, a, a freak injury. I, I assumed that your little Swedish phrase was going to be an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. <laughs> oh, nope. Nope, so tur i oturen. There you have it. Okay, next game that we need to touch upon, Chelsea. So with the 4-1 to win over Cardiff, they go top of the table on goal differential. So only Chelsea and Liverpool have five straight wins to open up the season. Uh, Eden Hazard scored a hat-trick. And William also got on the score sheet for the home side. And then Sol Bamba scored for Cardiff. Just love his name. Um, makes me think of the La Bamba. La, 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 bam, bam. Yeah, we don't have the rights for that, so not going to sing any more. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there you have it. Oliver Giroud, Olivier, sorry. Giroud picked up two assists. Oliver. Yeah, Oliver. Um, yeah, Giroud picked up two assists in this one, too. So, good for him. And, I mean, Chelsea, really, we've talked about this last episode, getting off to a perfect start under a new manager. And, I mean, are we... I know we're early, it's only five games, but Chelsea, sort of a dark horse here now, or? Well, they're, I don't, let's let's not speculate on the horse of whichever color, but they're certainly a horse in this race. I mean, they, uh, I don't think that many of us were picking them. I mean, a lot of us were saying that, a lot of us, I mean, there are two on this show, but many people. Uh, many people on this show. Many on this uh, but we're kind of picking them for third, right? You know, like maybe Seb, you might have United emotionally in third. Oh, I realistically no, no. don't have. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that neither of us, both the teams that we support personally in United and Arsenal, have really no chance of finishing in third this season. Realistically, you know that I think that would be the highest either could really hope for. Um, oh yes. And so I think we were thinking of Chelsea in third. Uh, and I would still say that that's where my money is that they finish. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, they've forced themselves into that conversation. And something that we said, um, you know, not per se on our last show, but the show, uh, the last recap show, was that this team they look better than we thought they'd be. They look 
all in on the manager's plan. They look all on the same page, all crucial things, obviously. But more than that is the ceiling is higher if Morata finds the form that he has never had in England. Uh, and if that is the case, oh my goodness, this is... That, that, like then I think we start talking about Chelsea as okay they're legit they're not favorite to finish third they're really legitimately in the title race and I, it not not before that happens for me anyway are Chelsea going to be favored over either Liverpool or City in head-to-head matchups or in terms of where I think they're going to finish at the end of the table but you know, Murata finds his feet in England, which we've seen. We've seen players take a season to acclimate before. Then all of a sudden, you have to say, "Okay, this is a team that are as dangerous in attack, probably as Liverpool and City, with an Alvaro Murata that we saw when he was playing in the continent." Yeah, but even if he doesn't get off, if Giroud can sort of provide link-up play, Hazard can score the goals. You also got Pedro. You got William. They have a good. They had a good bench here against Cardiff. I think that that's, you know, they have a good eighteen core of eighteen players. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean I agree with that entirely. But I think that for me the X factor, and maybe I'm falling into the common trap of overemphasizing the power of not only attackers in general but strikers in particular. But nonetheless, for me, it, it really is. Murata that is the difference because yeah they've got a deep bench but so so does Liverpool so does City City even more so particularly in the apex of that attack right? oh yeah kick you know, on like, kick yeah exactly like Sergio Aguero Gabriel Jesus you're fine drop off is a little more significant with Liverpool um, I mean I don't think anybody would argue that Sturridge is uh, close to as good as Firmino uh, but that said, I'm, I might even argue that the flanks of Liverpool's attack in Mane and Salah are better than the flanks of, uh, well, boy, it's really hard to say. God, they're they're all really cake-on-cake attacking teams. Yep, no, they are. And the thing with Chelsea, though, is I love their central midfield with Jorginho, Kante, and Ko- Kovacic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is elite through and, and through. That's- yeah, and that's true. That's more elite than the Milner, Wijnaldum, Keita. Um, but I, I'm still, I, I'm, I'm still not quite there to choose Chelsea. And you know, let me acknowledge my subject position. <laughs> Maybe that's just the fact that I am an Arsenal supporter, and so Chelsea is a local arch rival whereas you're a united supporter and so of course the liverpool rivalry is there so maybe that's why i'm a little more loath to say chelsea are neck and neck with liverpool at this point i mean i still think that city are still the first favorites right you know despite their position in the table oh yeah i mean we agree on that two two points off yes of course but i mean from that perspective too it's chelsea all the way (laughs) if united can't win yeah. Please just don't let it be Liverpool or Man City. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so good, good, good start for Chelsea, and uh, we'll we'll see if they can keep it up here. Uh, Crystal Palace they actually won a game. They defeated Huddersfield one nothing. So that's very important for them. Wilfred Saha, their X Factor guy, so they take a big leap up 
they're up in 12th place. Although the team that made, you know, sort of a bigger jump, that was West Ham. So after suffering four straight defeats to open up the season, they took a 3-1 win over Everton at Goodison Park. Went all the way up to 16th place here now. And boy, did they have a good game. Yeah, no, they played great. And I think that the... I mean, for me, the most impressive about this match was that, you know, with Sigurdsson grabbing, like pulling one back to make it 2-1 just before halftime, um, it, it seemed like, you know, here's a West Ham team that have been struggling, Everton playing at Goodison Park. You almost expected Everton to come out and dominate the second half and at least get a draw. Uh, and they, they looked they looked very much like you know dangerous as though they might do precisely that. But West Ham they, they were the, to West Ham's credit. I think the best thing I can say um, about West Ham in response is that they're a team that they they didn't sit back. They kept pushing and looking for that third goal and looking to exploit the space that. Everton opened as they were looking for the equalizer. And, you know, lo and behold, Arnautovic got it. Got exactly that. So all credit to them with their first win. I mean, this is a team that we've said before on paper, the like the talent that they have on the books, at some point it's got to start paying dividends. And I think that two of the most talented players in the squad, arguably the two most talented of, you know, the outfield players are Yarmolenko and Arnautovic. And look who made it on the scores. Yeah, Yarmolenko made his first Premier League start, scored twice in this game. And Pellegrini, you know, after things weren't working out here the first four games, he went with a switch in formation. They actually started pressing the teams that they were, the team that they were playing because that was sort of their downfall in the previous games. They were very, you know, it was almost like, okay, we'll wait until you get over the half over into our half and then we'll start pressing you but now now there is more of a higher press and uh, Declan Rice phenomenal change there putting him in he had a very good game so I think this might be the recipe for a little little bit more success for the Hammers and I think it's good on Pellegrini for acknowledging that okay well you know my favored tactic here as far as lineups go and playing you know, his four, two, three, one that he used to favor. Well, okay, it's not working. Let's switch it up and see what happens. So very, very good on him. I think he's a very, very good manager. Yeah, he is. He he absolutely is. And I think that it's uh it's gonna be hard for, you know, despite their pedigrees, I think it's gonna be hard for Robert Snodgrass and Jack Wilshire to break back into this team, to be quite honest. Especially not for Wilshire. He's out six weeks. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, well, of course, Jack Wilshire is Jack Wilshire. Of course, he's out for six yep. weeks. Now, what but, I'm saying, like, it's it's going to be tough for him when he's back. Absolutely. Yes, that that's my meaning as well. Yep. So, up to 16th place, we still have four teams that have not won a game yet in Cardiff, Huddersfield, Newcastle, and Burnley. A little bit surprising, Burnley at the bottom of the table after losing one nothing to Wolves. So, um, yeah, we're still five games in. When do you think it's time to start 
pushing the panic button here. How many games did DeBoer get last season? I forgot. Was it four, five, three? Uh, <laughs> God. Two, one. Let's see. That's <laughs> blast off. Yep. Canned. Yeah. While you Google that, uh, I'll talk about Manchester United. They won two to one over Watford on the road. Goals by Lukaku and Chris Smalling. Um, pretty, pretty four. nice. Yes, he got not, four games. Not even. He got four. He got four games. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll see if any teams sort of hit the panic button here soon. But yeah, United two to two to one win over Watford on the road. Uh, decent performance. That's all I can say about it, really. Yeah, you don't seem particularly over the moon. No, because I, <laughs> I, I don't think that it was a very good game. I mean, they looked okay. they looked pretty solid in the first half, dropped off in the second after Andre Gray scored the, the pulled one back for Watford. They looked scared, really. And De Gea came up really big towards the end of the game there. So, um, but they got the win. Uh, which is nice because I don't want to see them falling too far behind. Because, uh, you know, hopes are get that fourth spot. Mm. Yeah. Arsenal, yeah. three wins in a row after beating Newcastle 2-1 to one on the road. Shaka and Ozil with the goals. I... Uh... <laughs> hmm. Sounds like um... a bad song. Chaka, Chaka, Ozil. It, it does, in fact. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of uh, old the Badger Mushroom video. That's, Oof. that's Oof. back in the classic of internet history. Yes. Um, but, you know, <laughs> uh, dangerous mammals and fungi aside, I, I'm happy to get all three points on. It's great. We still were looked garbage in the first half and looked pretty dangerous immediately in the second lo and behold as lucas torreira is introduced at halftime and credit to emery for making that change you know a more of a tactical shift rather than broader strategy like uh, we're praising pellegrini for at west ham uh praiseworthy nonetheless but i am baffled by the lack of Torreira in the starting 11 you know and I, I said it before it's time it's mid-September we're now a little like getting past mid-September by the time we hit the next match day it'll be actively late September and the World Cup is long since in the rearview mirror heck it's over it's almost over the horizon right you know yeah and I don't I, I understand there are some arguments speaking about you know Tottenham and panic buttons and like oh well maybe it's still a world cup hangover for them these are easy explanatory mechanisms for i think and, and for a team and and Tottenham's also a very different scenario because they had so many players in the world cup and this is one guy in an arsenal team that you know i mean Shaka was at the world cup yeah he didn't go as deep into the tournament as did Uruguay but like it's not a huge difference to my mind in terms of the recovery time. And you ask any major sports scientist in the game today, they'll say that the statute of limitations for the necessary recovery time has passed. And 
you know, Tim Stillman, um, a fantastic Arsenal pundit, um, said on one of the Arsenal um, podcasts that I listened to, uh, the Arsblog podcast, although he was away eating ham on ruffles in Spain, um, he, he opined that the issue with not starting Leno over Czech, despite the fact that Czech is still clearly not really comfortable playing the ball out of the back at his feet, is that at this point in Czech's career, once you drop him, there's kind of no going back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that I hadn't really considered when watching Czech be totally out of sorts with the ball at his feet. I'd called for Leno to be given a chance in the team. Uh, and I, I think that he's right. You know, And I think that not only is he right in terms of analyzing potentially Emery's thinking on the matter, but maybe he's right from like what ought to be done standpoint, you know, and that like maybe it is best to give Leno his first minutes in cup matches if he shows himself really strong and if Czech continues to show that he's falling off the pace. Okay, well, you know, then maybe we consider uh, got to take him out. Yeah, no, that's true. And I almost feel like Arsenal are trying to follow this play out the back to a fault. Like oh, there's yeah, there's there's way too many situations where you should just hoof it. Yeah, I mean, and I think that. Okay, well, I'll I'll address that and then go back to my point about Torreira. Yes. That I think that that might be partially a function of the team just trying to adapt to a new system, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're you're playing in a new style. And in order to do that, you kind of have to, and I said this, I think, two weeks ago on the show, you kind of have to overemphasize the rules, right? In order to submit yourself to a new routine, a new discipline, you kind of have to, both as the coach and as the, you know, ideal internal dialogue of a player trying to, you know, uh, obey the coach's instructions, but you kind of have to overemphasize that, right? In order to build that muscle memory, it has to be, there can be no exceptions. Yep. You know, you have to establish the rule before you can establish the exception that makes the rule. Yeah. And so I think that maybe part of it is that, uh, and that they're hesitant to do it because of that. Um, but back back to my point about Torreira, and that although I've called for both the signings Leno and Torreira to make the starting eleven, I think I'm will I'm willing to take my foot off the gas on Leno and say, okay, maybe he deserves to be introduced only afterwards, you know, after kind of bleeding him in the cup matches, and then if and when he rises to the fore, it'll pretty much be him between the sticks forevermore, and then Czech will probably move on in the summer. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, but, but, Luke, I, but for... I, will die, I will die on the Terraria Hill. Like, yeah. He needs, he maybe, maybe not the Europa League, uh, or maybe it's that's the reverse, and that that's going to be the first start he gives him. But you can't well not start him due to concerns about fatigue, and then start him on Thursday, and then again on Sunday. You just no. can't do it. Okay, so for your boy Lucas here, if Emery wants to keep playing Lacazette and Obama Yang at the same time, who who do you think will be the sacrificial lamb here, so to speak? Is it Matteo Guendouzi? Yes, um, and it's interesting because Guendouzi's passing statistics were actually much better than Torreira's, right? Um, well, he had something like 94% of his passes completed to, uh, I don't know, 75, 76, mid-70s for Torreira. But, but 
a lot of those incomplete passes, I think, are bespoken by just more incisive balls into the final third. Yeah. And I and I'm fine with dropping Winduzi. You know, he's got to be over the moon with the amount of playing time that he's had so far. And by contrast, Torreira has to be scratching his head a little bit. And I, you know, I'm not Unai Emery. I don't know how much of this is team balance, how much of this is kind of player management. He's an intelligent and experienced enough manager that I'm sure both come into play. But nonetheless, you got to show me some Torreira. You know? and, and if he doesn't feature in the Europa League, that's fine. But if he doesn't feature in the Europa League, he especially has to start the game this weekend. Yep, no, that's true. Before we move over to the Champions League, we should say Bournemouth beat Leicester 4-2. Ryan Fraser with a couple of goals. Joshua King and Adam Smith as well on the score sheet. Uh, Man City took a 3-0 win at home to Fulham. Nothing surprising there. Sané, Silva, Sterling with the goals. And then the last game that we haven't touched upon, Southampton, Brighton, 2-2. And uh, Southampton took a 2-0 lead in this one. Um Biari and Ings with the goals. And then Shane Duffy and Old Man Murray. Old Man Murray. Old Come Man on. Murray. He's, he's like... He's a phoenix at this point. Yeah. I mean, really, it's uh, incredible what he's doing. But, yeah, scored on a light penalty there. Um, questionable call, but, you know, they got the point. So good for Brighton. So let's move over to the Champions League. It kicks off on Tuesday. A couple of good ones right off the bat. Inter takes on Tottenham in Milan. Monaco play Atletico Madrid. And then... Liverpool, PSG, of course, the big, big one. That's a 3 p.m. kickoff. The early kickoffs are Barcelona against PSV Eindhoven and Inter against Spurs. That's 12.55. That's awfully specific. Uh, but I, I guess they trying to time it so they can go straight from one game to the other on TV, yeah, of course. Makes, makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, I mean, I, I will casually watch the Inter-Tottenham game. And then, you know, while doing other work that I have to do, as many of us watching, you know, European leagues in the United States are wont to do with the work day. Uh, and then I will close my laptop at three and give all my attention to Liverpool PSG because that that's the matchup that I'm especially excited for. Uh, I mean, I think that it has it really has the potential to be a goal fest. And I don't think. I don't think that PSG are going to be afraid of this Liverpool team. Um, I don't think they should be. Uh, but I also think that Liverpool should be playing with confidence. I mean, the the small question mark about Firmino is a little unsettling, but I, I think he'll play. You know, I, even a, a Firmino who can only see 80% of the pitch is better than a Daniel Sturridge who can see all of it. Sorry, Danny. No, that's true. That's very, very true. Yeah, it's. Uh, I haven't looked over the TV schedule yet uh, to see what games are where. It's got to be those two, right? It's got. I mean, Fox Sports One has got to be Inter Tottenham and Liverpool PSG. Although yeah. I don't know, they do love some Barcelona. They might do Barcelona PSV Eindhoven instead. I don't know. Seven lightness. I'm trying to find it here. Uh... I think, well, also the. The, while you're looking, the 
the no, let's see. This year. Yeah, so it looks like Inter against Spurs is on Galavision. What? Okay. I don't even. I don't even know that. That's a television station in the United States. Uh, it is. It's uh, one of the speaking Spanish-speaking channels. Um, hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to figure this one out. Uh, do bear with me. Oh, it could be because they bought uh, uh, Turner Broadcasting bought the rights. It could be on TNT. Bleacher Report Live and TNT. Oh God, Bleacher Report Live. Uh, okay, Liverpool PSG is on TNT. Okay. Yeah, I mean that... this this is a game that could be. Three, two, like, you know, knife edge going one way or the other. This is, yeah, I'm sort of baffled here by this uh, broadcasting. Uh, oh yeah, no, thing. it's the, yeah, sorry. the it's it's all weird this year, man. I mean, I'm I had to sign up for Bleacher Report Live in order to watch the Europa League. So so two ninety nine a game. Yep, which is really not bad, actually. No, it's uh, not. That's and, not bad. And I like. I like that they're, although I should say, first of all, it is a regression for the fans of soccer in America to have games behind paywalls like these regardless. But if I can cherry pick it and watch individual matches, that's preferable to having to just like plump 50 bucks for for a NBC Sports Gold. I mean, I've said, I've said all this before. No, I mean it's true, and I mean this is this was back in 2017 they bought the rights um, starting this season. So, hmm. Well, it will it will be interesting. Turner Sports bid out ESPN, which is kind of surprising, actually. Yeah, uh, Spanish language rights were acquired by Univision. What's the name of the channel that you said, though? Galavision. Yeah. No idea. Yep. So, that's fun. <laughs> Go down that rabbit hole. Luckily, so... luckily there's ways. Wednesday. Let's get, to, let's yes. get off TV rights and get to Wednesday. That's true. That's true. <laughs> there's, a, there's ways. Let's just say that. Uh, Wednesday, the young boys take on Manchester United. <laughs> of course, you're going to lead with that. You're going to lead with the young uh, boys. The young boys, yep. Uh, uh, I mean, big matchup here, Real Madrid-Roma. Yeah. I mean, that's, of course, one that... It's still going to take me a while to be accustomed to uh, Ronaldo-less Real Madrid. Yes. Yeah, his Juventus will take on Valencia on the road. And yep. then... You know, as far as England go here, Manchester City at home to Lyon, which is not a gimme, but at the same time, City should should beat them handedly. I mean, I don't follow Lyon terribly closely, but I, I mean, I would expect City to wipe the floor with any French team that is not PSG. Yeah, and with the possible exception of Monaco, but even then. You know, uh, Monaco that has Kylian Mbappe, sure. Oh, wait, where did Kylian Mbappe go? That's right. Yep. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, the early games are Ajax against uh, AEK Athens, and then we got Shakhtar Donetsk against Hoffenheim. Then the other games are 3 p.m. kickoffs. Same deal there, 12.55 and then 3 p.m. So uh, before we sign off, we should uh, all lay some praise on the feet of Slatan Ibrahimovic, who scored his <laughs> 500th professional goal in his career with a beautiful roundhouse kick goal. I mean, the man is a beast. So. I don't know why I assumed that you wouldn't be bringing that up because that was foolish of me to think that you wouldn't bring up Slatan. Hey, that was a great Swedish highlight because it's been a couple of tough days. Mikkel Stare, the San Jose Earthquake coach, he got the can. Uh, what's the name of that kicker for the was it for the Vikings? I missed three field goals. He got the cut. Oh my gosh, is he Swedish? He half Swedish. David Karlsson. Huh. Yep. Cool. Swedish yep. dad. Oh, that's too bad because it would have been so appropriate for him playing for the Vikings, except that I hate the Vikings and that game was terrible and it was horribly officiated, but we need not go there. There we go. Yeah, I missed three field goal attempts and got the cut. So Including two in overtime, it should be said. Ooh, that's really bad. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, and in a draw. You don't see that too often. We call them ties. And ah, everything. whatever. <laughs> it's a draw. There we go. Okay, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better than give one, the number one, Yank, number one, Swede. So one Yank, one Swede. A follow as well. Until next time, enjoy the games. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.